The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future with totally new sources of information that will change the way you run your business. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome. Those of you who know the show code, that means we have two guests today. If you want to run with the Game Changers and change the world, you are in the right place. What's the buzz on the street? Well, I found an interesting quote here. Listen up, it's a little complicated. The Industrial Internet of Things. Some of you know that as the IIoT, and if you're on Twitter, it's hashtag IIoT. It will fundamentally rearrange entire supply chains from production all the way to consumption. Think about that. It's a big deal. It's a big quote. Where is it from? The source is Amit Narayan, founder and CEO of Autogrid Systems. And let's go on with what this all means to you. Well, in the complex world of supply chain management, also known as SCM, we're doing alphabet soup today, Internet of Things technology is helping companies make real-time decisions to achieve long-awaited, and I should say long-overdue, transportation logistics efficiencies. How do you get your supplies? How do you get your finished goods? from point A to point B, on time, in the right quantity, to the right location, to the right people. It's all part of supply chain management. Well, tangible results of the involvement of Internet of Things or Industrial Internet of Things are already available. Best-in-class supply chains claim that they are lowering their transportation costs by up to 60%. That's right, I said 6-0. Wouldn't you love to lower your transportation costs by 60%? Of course you would. And in fact, two years ago in 2015, DHL and Cisco estimated a $1.9 trillion, I said trillion with a T, $1.9 trillion positive impact from IoT asset tracking solutions. That means you put sensors on and they figure where the stuff is and where it's going and how to get it there. So my question to our audience around the world is, what are you waiting for? Our topic today, in case you haven't guessed, is the Internet of Things upending supply chain management. That's a very aggressive verb, upending. We're going to find out why we're talking about that today. Let me tell you who our two panelists are. First up is the gentleman who sponsors this series. I think this is his fourth year with us, Ira Burke. He is now the vice president leading the platform and industry sales program team within the HANA Global Center of Excellence at SAP. And joining Ira on the panel is his colleague, Adam Mardini. And we're going to find out in a couple of minutes what Adam, let me see, he's the chief architect. Here we go. I have his title, chief architect with customer innovation and enterprise platform at SAP. So we have two esteemed panelists who know their stuff. So Ira has sent me a quote from, well, there's two sources. One is Walter J. Savage. I'll tell you who he is in a moment in 1984. And later this was attributed to Yogi Berra. I'm going to read the quote first, and I'll read the attributions. In theory, there is no difference between 
theory and practice, but in practice there is kind of a little bit of a conundrum. Walter J. Savage, still alive, born in 1943, discovered the complexity class NL and Savage's theorem, which defines a relationship between N-space and D-space complexity classes. I have no idea what that is, but I'll tell you that he was involved in early NLP, natural language processing and mathematical linguistics and he wrote textbooks for learning to program. I was a coder back in the day. Ira may have been C and C++, Java, Ada, Pascal and other programming languages and Yogi Berra to whom this is later attributed was an American professional baseball catcher, manager, coach who played 19 seasons in Major League Baseball, all but the last for the New York Yankees and he won so many awards it was amazing. So here again is the quote and Ira will tell us how it relates to our topic. In theory there is no difference between theory and practice, but in practice, there is. Ira Burke, how are you today? I'm doing great, Bonnie. Thanks very much. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Talk to me. I understand you're you know, on a cell phone for the first time. Where are you calling from? So I'm joining you today from New Jersey, right? So I'm on my way from one SAP location to another. And uh, so this is, the, uh, this is the first time that I've, uh, that I've actually joined the show from Delta. I'm glad you can hear me. Um, it sounds can. like uh, sounds like that part is working okay in theory. It should work just <laughs> fine in practice. You never know. Right? You are good. And, uh, you are good. And, and, and so course, talk to me about the quote. How does it? We're, we're talking <laughs> industrial internet things. We're talking sensors. We're talking tracking uh, supplies and and the manufacturing process and inventory and getting it from point A to maybe point Z with all those midpoints. So, so how does this in theory and in practice? How does this quote work? Well, I mean, doesn't it sound simple? Just throw a sensor on everything, and then we'll know where everything is, and the supply chain is suddenly magically going to get better. It does sound really simple. Um, but I think we're going to discover during the course of the conversation uh, that it's not as simple as it sounds, that there are a lot of really bright ideas, really good ways that we can take advantage of the sensors that are becoming available and the data that they're generating. Um, but you have to dive in a little bit, and there's a lot of complexity, and not just with the technology, uh, but also with the business model and also with the way you run your organization. All of it adds complexity to the picture, and so the practice in this case, like probably every case, is just a little more complicated than the, uh, the theory behind uh, what is a really good idea. Okay, the theory of what is a really good idea. Very interesting. Ira, quick question for you before we chat with Adam Mardini. Ira, is, is IoT getting overhyped? Is industrial Internet of Things are people saying, like you said, yeah, slap a sensor on it, it'll make a difference. Is, there, is the hype not living up to the reality or vice versa, perhaps? No, I think we always see these things go in waves, right? And so there's a lot of hype at the beginning, then people slow down a little bit and say, well, what's this really going to mean? And then they start to discover what it really means. So I think we're actually on an upswing, and I think we're going to see a surge of interest of interest and a surge of activity uh, because the ideas really are coming to fruition, maybe not as instantaneously as everyone would like, but they are, and it's going to be very powerful. I like that. Going to be very powerful. Thank you very much. And now let's welcome our other panelist, Adam Mardini, your colleague at SAP. And Adam has sent us a very important quote from the late, great Steve Jobs. This was from an interview in Wired magazine in 1996. I don't think I have to say too much about Steve Jobs, but in case you're looking for a little trivia, his full name was Stephen Paul Jobs. 
He lived from 1955 to 2011. He was an American information technology entrepreneur and inventor. Oh, yeah. He was the co-founder, chair, and CEO of Apple, CEO and largest shareholder of Pixar Animation Studios, member of the Walt Disney Company's board of directors following its acquisition of Pixar, and founder, chairman, and CEO of Next NE Capital XT, Inc. And here is the quote Adam has selected. Things don't have to change the world to be important. Well, so there. Adam Mardini, welcome. Good morning, Bonnie. Thank you. So talk to me about your quote. Well, actually, uh, there are a lot of things that uh, work around us, including IoT, that that we really underestimate the value and the importance of those things. And they really don't have to change the world, but they are fundamentally important in our life. So if, imagine if, if you order something uh, had to do medicine, for example, and that doesn't arrive or you got the wrong medicine. That is, that is phenomenally important in our life. And, and IoT is not just about saving money or not just about uh, speeding up the process. It's also about increasing the accuracy. So IoT fundamentally changing the world around us. And uh, I, I love Steve Jobs. Actually, one of the buildings we have at the SAP campus uh, used to be the next uh, office, and uh, I know precisely where Steve Jobs' office used to be, in our campus. Real? Did you find it? Did you find the office? Yeah, actually, it's one of the large conference rooms. That's where we do a lot of our, coincidentally, that's where we do a lot of our design thinking sessions, trying to create innovation, and that was Steve Jobs' office. Well, that certainly is uh, prophetic in a way. <laughs> My goodness, very interesting. Thank you very much, Adam. And Adam, let me ask you the same question I asked Ira Burke a moment ago. Do you think that the hype about the sensors, about IoT, IIoT, do you think that the reality is, is living up to the hype, or do you think it's going to be a while before we catch up? I think, I, I think we're going to see a lot of changes. Uh, for example, one of the robotic companies, one of the, I think, I believe, I believe it's the second largest robotic company in the world, Yasakawa, out of Japan, they are in the process of building the same as Romba, the one that cleaned the carpet. They are in the process mm-hmm. of building a robot that will cook for you. So, and that's heavily based on, on IoT. So they need to work in harmony with the fridge. They need to work in harmony with, with the kitchen, with the components, and with the oven and microwave and make everything work in harmony. So we have not seen everything yet, and there will be massive amount of changes, and we are just climbing right now. We are not even at the peak yet. Wow. I, I love So the Roomba is going to cook dinner for me while it cleans the floor or after. And then if I drop any, what we used to call table scraps on the floor, Ira probably knows that term. I think in, in Crossword Puzzle Land, that's called an ORT, an O-R-T is a little scrap. If I drop any ORTs on the floor, uh, the sensor in the Roomba will say, oh, 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 we can't let Bonnie have a messy floor. We'll have to clean up around the table. Is And, and wait a minute, Adam, is it going to ask me what I want for dinner? Is it only going to cook the healthy stuff. There is actually one in, in existence right now. They have it inside the cafeteria in, uh, in Japan, in Yasakawa, that uh, cook only one flavor of food, but they are in the process of making it cook multiple types of uh, things, including Japanese, Chinese, American dishes. And I cannot wait to have my hands on one of these. 
I can't wait to have more than my hands on one of these. I want to I want to find out if their cooking is any good. I want to taste them. Very, very interesting. Thank you very much, Adam. Ira, thank you for inviting Adam along. Very charming and, and uh, insightful and what great stories. Adam, we're going to have a good good show thank today. You. Ira Burke, let's find out. You said you're in New Jersey. You said you're in on a cell phone. Are you... Uh, are you mobile or are you stationary somewhere safe? I hope the latter. Uh, no, I'm stationary someplace safe. So, uh, okay, in, a, in a hotel room overlooking the highway. Oh, okay. All right. It wouldn't be the New Jersey Turnpike, would it? <laughs> it might be close. It might be close. Okay. Well, if it's exit seven or exit eight, you're probably looking at a lot of traffic that could use some sensors in the roadbed to tell people when to move a little bit faster, I think. Okay, that's good. So, Ira, I, I don't know if I should safely ask you what you're drinking today, but that's the protocol for this part of the show, what's in your cup today, uh, because I, I don't want to force the issue if you're drinking something really awful in a, in a cold cup in a hotel room. But what would you love to be drinking right now that would make you really, really happy? Yeah, no. So I was, I was you know, I, I, I thought you might ask that question. So I was uh, think? <laughs> staring at the I was, I was staring at the coffee that comes with the room, which actually isn't so terrible. But I can't really figure out what it is. So I have no idea what's in my cup this morning. It says morning blend <laughs> on the K cup, and it. I mean, it was it was fine, right? At least they put a K cup machine in the room. So uh, so I can't I can't really complain. And, so uh, what would you rather be <laughs> drinking? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. So um, a, a friend recently introduced me to the cascara lattes at Starbucks, and so I've been trying those for a while. A little bit, a little bit sweeter than the usual uh, Starbucks coffee, and those have been good. So maybe, maybe one of those this morning I would have had instead. Um, I think was- so. And is your weather in New Jersey like it is here on Long Island? Just kind of drying out, a little gray. It looks like it can't make up its mind between rain and something a little brighter than that. Same thing. That is that is exactly what it is. Um, but there are a lot of flowers that came out around this hotel, so we that part. Oh, yeah. Beautiful flowers here. Thank you very much, Ira, as long as you're safe. Adam Mardini, where are you calling from? And either what did the Roomba serve you for your cup this morning, <laughs> or if, if you do have one, or what would you love to be drinking? Adam, give us a good story. What's your favorite drink? Sure. I'm actually sitting at home in Santa Clara, California, which is about... Uh, 14 miles from Palo Alto, about uh, 30 miles from San Francisco. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a beautiful day, a little bit cloudy, but uh, we don't mind the rain. We had uh, seven years of drought, and this year we got enough rain to compensate for the entire seven years of, of drought. Uh, I'm drinking instant coffee, which tastes horrible, but uh, I can't complain because that's, that's what we have at home. Uh, I would love to have any kind of strong German coffee that will really give me a buzz. I remember in the, in the college days, we used to have a cola called Jolt, which is yes. double the caffeine, yes. double the sugar. <clears throat> mm-hmm. I would like to get one of those right now. A Jolt. Oh, my goodness. That is going back in time. I'm going to look that up. Jolt soda. Let's see just quickly here. Jolt Cola, Wikipedia. Well, it made Wikipedia, Adam. It must be very important. Jolt was a carbonated soft drink produced by the Jolt Company, J-O-L-T, also known later as, yeah, that's right, wet 
Planet Beverages. The cola was created in 1985 by C.J. Rapp as a highly caffeinated beverage. It was targeted towards students and young professionals, stressing its use as a stimulant in a similar manner as energy drinks. On September 28, 2009, Wet Planet Beverages, boo-hoo, filed for bankruptcy Chapter 11 after failing to meet the demands to fulfill an agreement over buying resealable cans. An emigrant bank took the assets and relaunched the business. So what can I tell you? Very interesting. Thank you for that look back in history. I don't know if our young listeners, our very young listeners around the world even knew that. So I'm sure that trivia was appreciated. And guess what? Ira knows this about me and Adam is about to find out. They don't let me anywhere near caffeinated beverages on radio show days. And Tuesdays and Thursdays are a doubleheader day. We have another show this afternoon. So all I'm allowed to drink is water. So I have cool, clear water from a Brita filter in a cool, clear mug. And I have a green straw in celebration of the beautiful greenery outside my office window. Because, yes, Ira, the flowers are out, the plants are blooming, the pansies have their heads up. I have a package of year-old daisy seeds I put into a can, a tin can out on my, uh, well, a big one, actually a planting can, on my terrace, and the the seeds have already sprouted. There's two inches of something that may become daisies eventually, African daisies, and I am celebrating spring. So there you go. Easter and Passover already did that a couple of weeks ago. So here we are talking about a very serious topic, Internet of Things and or Industrial Internet of Things. Look it up if you're not familiar. Upending Supply Chain Management. We're going to take a quick break, a pause that refreshes, hopefully, with a jolt for for Adam. Adam, if you can find one of those, maybe it would be sold on eBay. Who knows? Maybe at a premium. And we're going to talk about putting those sensors, what sensors, what kind of sensors, into what to take charge of your supply chain from, as Amit Narayan at Autogrid Systems says, from production all the way to consumption. Wouldn't it be lovely? I'm Bonnie D. Graham. You're listening to Internet of Things with Game Changers Radio. If you're keeping track, this is Season 4, Episode 5. Woohoo! We'll be right back. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. You know the drill. Kevin out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Insights from totally new sources of data, sensors that capture and share what is happening in your business environment, and the tools to understand it and act on it. These are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. Internet of Things with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. 
And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Internet of Things with Game Changers. And here we are back talking about IoT with Game Changers. And the nice gentleman who announced us is telling you about Twitter. We are using the hashtag SAPRADIO. I'm there as SAP Radio. You can see my picture with the red phone. I'm not holding that phone today, but I do occasionally. And you can see Ira Burke, I R A B E R K, as his handle. And we're using all kinds of interesting hashtags today. We're using, uh, let's see, we're using IoT, IIoT, SEM, that supply chain management and SAP IOT. So join the party. We are happy to see you here at hashtag SAP radio on Twitter. So now we are going to deep dive into our topic. We're talking today about Internet of Things upending supply chain management. And before I read the first topic from Ira Burke's list, Ira, I'd love for you to interpret the the verb upending. Maybe it's a gerund. I don't know. But what are we talking about upending? And then then we'll get into it, Ira. I just want to clarify that word because we don't usually use that word here. So what, what are we talking about upending? Um, so, so usually, right? We don't don't we mean that it's that it's really turning things upside down a little bit, and uh, and how important that is when we're talking about a uh, supply chain, which which are even the best of circumstances, the supply chain is a complicated beast. Uh, but here we are taking a look at individual pieces of it and weaving them together in a new way, right? So making the delivery of things possible that either wasn't possible before or was really hard before because you couldn't get an overarching view of how your supply chain is running, or you couldn't dive in to get systematic information about things because there were no sensors, there were no systems to gather the information. So changing what used to be a very siloed and very manual process into something that's visible and automated and manageable and optimizable and provable, um, to, to my mind, really is upending the whole story of how you run a supply chain. Thank you. I am tweeting that. SCM is a complicated beast. Used to be siloed time to upend it. I'm quoting you, Ira. You are going to be very, very famous by the time I hit the the post button here on Twitter. So now, Ira, you... You sent me you sent me a very interesting note here. You said in a recent blog post, Suhas Sridhar of GT Nexus identified four ways that IoT can help the manufacturer's supply chain. And you also noted noted manufacturing companies stand to gain a major benefit when their supply chains are connected to the Internet of Things. So let me just kick this off with one or two comments from this list of four ways it can help, and we'll ask you to expand on them, and we'll get Adam Mardini to share his expertise on this as well. So one is performance and maintenance of the industrial machine. Another one is guaranteed performance. Another one is uh, industrial IoT apps will make IoT technology customizable to specific manufacturing functions. And another one is advanced manufacturing automation. All Greek to me, Ira, I'd love to have you explain it. Tell us what this means, please. Well, so, so one of the things that I liked about this particular blog post is the way that he talked about almost different layers of how you improve a supply chain. And manufacturing is a great example because at least even if we don't know the, the details, we can all visualize a uh, manufacturing process. We can figure out, you can picture raw materials coming into a factory, finished goods coming out of a factory, and then logistically how they get from the factory out to the wholesaler distributor and out to the retailer or maybe straight into the mail into, uh, into, into the person who's going to receive it. But we can visualize 
a uh, manufacturing-based supply chain, so they're relatively easy to talk about, and uh, even if they are really complicated to implement. And, uh, and in this example, right, so he started with just one machine in a factory, and he said, if you've got one machine with the right sensors on it, we can start to use the IoT to learn much more about that machine, to understand whether it's running well or understand if it's running well today, but we can already tell that tomorrow it's going to break down. And so using the information that is generated, especially by sensors, but also by the ability to process the data and extract insights from the data, lets you run that machine and every machine in your factory and along your supply chain on the factory floor in a more effective way. And then he started pulling back from that picture in the blog post. And he said, okay, you can look at an individual machine, but you can also look across the chain and say, hey, if I know when my machines are going to break down, then I can start offering a better service to my customer because I can guarantee that I'm going to be successful in delivering to that customer because I can in advance, mm-hmm. if my machine is going to break, I can fix it and keep things running. So I can contract with my customer with a lot more confidence and say, you know what, I can provide you a service based on the fact that I'm guaranteed to produce this. So I don't need you to uh, pay me the way you used to pay me. You can pay me based on uh, on, on guaranteed uptime. I can provide you... Uh, my product uh, almost as a service instead of leaving you on the hook if things go wrong in my uh, in my process. So I thought that was an interesting view. And then going higher up the chain, right? So he talked about advanced manufacturing automation, fully automated manufacturing and supply chain. And, and the really interesting things that we can do now is even with these old siloed separate systems, we can start to pull their data together and we can start to pre- provide a unified view so that you can look on a real life dashboard and see what's happening across my supply chain right now. Uh, and that's very powerful and it's also very new, right? Most of the technology has been running in silos for so long. So there'd be one person who has one system and they understand it. And if there's a breakdown, you pick up the phone and start calling between different people who understand different parts and different systems in the chain. But now technology can help us there as well. So, uh, so I particularly appreciated the way he saw how you can build layer upon layer to make the whole supply chain easier to visualize and easier to manage and to optimize. Thank you very much, Ira. Great introduction to this part of our discussion. Adam Mardini, love to get your thoughts on this. Agree or disagree or any shades of meaning you'd like to add or any other explanations you'd like to add for us? We're learning with you. Absolutely, I agree. And uh, just to add more color to it, I mean, I would like mm-hmm. to put, give you an example of this. Uh, Harley Davidson, the very famous uh, motorcycle company. Uh, mm-hmm. Imagine how many different combinations of customization a person can get on his motorcycle. And by the way, most of the configuration are factory configuration. Those used to take days. I believe something in the neighborhood of three weeks to get your customization done by the factory. When, when they put everything to work together in harmony, so when, when IoT started to talk, I mean, all those machines in, in, in their factories started to talk to each other, it, it went down from 21 days to, I believe, something like five or six hours. And, and, and the, the stock price went from $10 to $70. The customer satisfaction went tremendously up. So the, the four points that, uh, that Iowa touched based on, it is 100% true. You can see the performance of the factory going through the roof. You can see the guaranteed performance of, of, of all the, uh, uh, the finish line. So they are producing a bike, I believe, every 70 or 80 seconds, there is a bike coming, rolling off of the production line. And uh, the application, the way that they are controlling those machines, it's, it's 
truly a harmony. It's a symphony in, in, in process. And uh, the advanced manufacturing automation, that's what they do at, uh, at Hollywood. And that's merely just one example. Exactly what I said, if you go to any manufacturing company and look into what they're doing, it's incredible. Thank you, Adam. I, I love the example and why you were sharing it and talking about the harmony and the, of the customization and speeding the production time. I just wanted to say vroom. That's all I could think of was vroom because you're talking about really powering up the whole cycle from start to finish and adding customization and what's better than that. Ira, any comments you want to make? Any other case studies before I move to some topics from Adam's list, Ira? No, well, so along the same lines, there's a customer that we've worked with, we may have spoken about on this show in the past, uh, called the Kaiser Kompressor, a German company that sells Mm -hmm. air compressors, right? And because of IoT, right, now they can sell air, right? Because they know their machine is going to work because the sensors are telling them. And so that's just, it's it's a straightforward example, but think about how much, how powerful the example is for changing the way you serve your customers. Right? It's not my problem now if I'm a customer. My compressor's not going to break down. If it is, somebody's just going to come and replace it for me. Right? I just pay for the air that I need, and it's always there. And they're making sure it's always there. And, and when you think about this Harley-Davidson example, just imagine going from three weeks to whatever it is, six hours, to get a customized uh, motorcycle off the end of an assembly line because you've been able to get in and do the work of putting the sensors tracking technology and visibility in the right places, right? Wouldn't it be a beautiful thing? Right. Ira, it's reminding me that next Tuesday on our series with uh, your colleague at SAP, Larry Stoley, who sponsors the Future of Cars with Game Changers, we're going to be talking mm-hmm. about the question of easing city traffic and stress. And curing stress, and and one of the topics will be. I, I have a long about segue, so Adam and Ira, please bear with me for a second here. The segue is with uh, congestion pricing, meaning you will pay a premium to be on the highway on the road during peak rush hours because you have to earn the right to be there so we can make it faster. Not everybody will pay that price, so we'll remove congestion through economics. And that was the point of a recent New York Times article. I think it was in, in March of this year. But the other side is self-driving cars. You know, you, you'll be able to do something else. So what do you care if there's a lot of traffic? You'll multitask. Uh, young people, old people can get more mobility, blah, blah, blah. But while you're talking, Adam, I'm thinking, if Harley can pump out more motorcycles customized faster and produced faster, maybe we have just solved the whole traffic congestion problem by getting people onto motorcycles and motorbikes and getting rid of the big cars. And that way, traffic will go faster because everybody will be in a better mood and they'll want to room wherever they're going. Adam, do you think we just solved the world's traffic problem? I wish, I really wish. My commute, it takes me about, it's only 16 miles from, from my home to the office. It sometimes takes me one hour just, just to get to the office. Oh, my goodness gracious. Yes, I used to be in that, that crunch on Long Island as well. Ira, any thoughts about rooming the, the uh, traffic and the stress cure problem? Uh, you know, may, may, maybe you're right. I, you know, I, I don't know if I'm getting on a motorcycle or not, but uh, maybe, maybe with a little help and maybe it'd be worthwhile if it really is, uh, if it really is faster. But for I sure, this it, is the technology that's going to help us solve the transportation problems, right? We can I see th- so I, many different ways. Oh, yeah. 
I know. I have to tell Larry Stoley about that when I, I set up the show for next Tuesday. Thank you, gentlemen, for letting me do the sidebar. Adam Mardini, I'm looking at your notes here. Very interesting. Uh, let's do something provocative here. You say Internet of Things is not new to supply chain management. Why don't you give us a little bit of what is new about it rather than if it's not totally new? Is there a new style or flavor or speed or what, what is new that we're having this conversation today, Adam? Uh, there's always uh, a balance between the supply and the demand. And uh, manufacturing, they have had IoT for the longest time. Machines, they need to produce signals. The signals need to be processed and to, to make sure that everything is working in harmony. Since the days of, of automation started, the, the industrial world started to use automation in their process. And there is uh, processing of, of all the signals that's coming out of those machines. That is not new. The new thing is to put everything together and try to process it in near real time or in real time. That is, that is the, the phenomenal thing that is happening. So in the old days, manufacturing companies, they try either to saturate the market with, with supplies. So you can imagine um, uh, computer manufacturers. They just keep manufacturing computers. They predict the market and just keep producing or they try to make a shortage and uh, or they don't, they don't manufacture enough and there's a shortage in the market. The, the other thing is when you have a close match between the supply and the demand, that's when everything is working in harmony, and that's when it's really beautiful. And my, my hero in that is Tim Cook of Apple. His, mm. his biggest contribution is solving the, the supply and demand equation, and, and I love his theory, the, the way that he, he did the, those things. Thank you. Ira, is Tim Cook your hero as well? Uh, well, I'm, I'm speaking on his phone right now, so I think uh, I think I owe him the ability to show, uh, show up on this uh, on this radio show. His, uh, his but, personal uh, phone? Look, it, no, not his personal <laughs> phone. That that would be interesting. Yes, I'm teasing no, you. But, but, I, but I, I still give him a little bit of the uh, well, some of the credit. I guess we had Steve Jobs on earlier, so between the two of them. Um, That's but, right. Listen, I think what uh, what Adam was saying, I think, is uh, is is really important. That the more visible uh, we make the steps in the supply chain, manufacturing chain, the balance between supply and demand, um, it's it's better for everybody. Right? Inventory is expensive. It slows you down. Um, and yeah, look, we we used we lived at a time when software had to be delivered by filling up a software store with uh, with diskettes, and there was always too much or too little. And now there's no such thing as physical distribution of software. Right? Think how much that supply chain has just vanished. And think about the other supply chains that we deal with getting closer and closer to that ideal. Um, so I think, uh, I think Adam's comment was, uh, was spot on that this technology, and especially having the analytic power to understand the information that you're seeing, right, is going to make it possible to optimize certain parts of the supply chain out of existence and other parts to be running really, really smoothly so that people can get what they need what they need it. And that's what this is all about. Absolutely. Thank you very much. And because that was such a short discussion, because you were all in violent agreement, as we sometimes say, Adam, I'm going to pick another topic from your list here to put you on the spot for a moment here. You say better service and lower cost are the outcome of using Internet of Things and process it in real time to improve efficiency. You have a case study that you want to share with us, Adam, about the Italian railway Trenitalia. You want to tell us about that? Absolutely, and uh, anybody who has been on a train, they know that uh, the feeling when when you the train is late because uh, they have malfunction or failure or something like that. So it is really uh, a huge impact on on the consumer when when there is a time gap between the 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 time that the train is supposed to arrive 
and uh, there is mismatch between when the train physically going to be there. Uh, we have we have two ways of, of dealing with, with parts when it comes to train. Either we have to be reactive, so we do things on maintenance schedule, and things fail, and then we can go and fix those, or we, or we can be proactive. And when we can uh, do the analytics, we can scan things, and we can look into the IoT of, of everything that's coming out of the train, and we can improve the performance. So when, when you maintain the parts only when they need to be maintained before they break down, you're absolutely going to cut costs. You're going to improve the performance. You're going to increase the satisfaction of, of the consumers. And uh, everybody who has been on a train in, in Italy would tell you that there is a huge impact. They can see it. They can feel it right now. Ira, comments on that? Great example, by well, the way, Adam. Thank you. So, well, so first of all, I have to tell you my own story of Trenitalia, right? So, and this is no comment on the railroad or, or anything else, but, but just a few years ago, um, my wife and I were on Trenitalia between uh, Florence and Rome, and my cell phone uh, that I'm using now was running out of battery. And uh, fortunately, they had uh, chargers in the seat, right? You could, plug, uh, you could plug your charger into a power outlet in the seat and recharge mm-hmm. your phone. We pulled into the station in Rome, and I went to pull my charger out of the outlet in the seat, and it wouldn't budge. And I was no. pulling harder and harder and harder. And eventually, part of the inside of the seat handle came out attached to my charger, uh, at which point I just disconnected the phone and, and walked away. So I think there are some things that could slow down a train that just can't be predicted, um, at least not yet, by the sensors that we have for, uh, for, for IoT. Uh, but but <laughs> on, on, a, on a bigger scale, there's some, some really interesting topics with that story. The idea that we could start to understand um, how long uh, a truck is going to be in service before it needs to be pulled out for repairs, right? Uh, they they did it, you know, in the, the old-fashioned way they've done it on uh, on in, in, on any railroad is just by counting the miles that the train has traveled because that's something that's easy to count and everybody knows. But uh, how many times have the doors opened and closed? How many times have the wheels turned? How many times have the parts in the train been used? Sensors can start to get into this much more detailed view of what's happening on on a uh, on a passenger car, freight car, and and start to let us produce a much better model of when things need to be taken out for service, when things need to run, and that's going to lead to uh, to a better service. At least if you're the person responsible for. Uh, for managing the trains, um, you know, here in the, in the New York area, we've had a uh, a recent bad run of luck with the uh, infrastructure for the train. So even if the train cars are all working perfectly, if uh, you can't get a train in and out of Penn Station because the uh, because the switching equipment isn't working or the tracks aren't reliable, then that may not be fixable um, by the uh, train car having good IoT sensors. But maybe they need to put something in the tracks. Maybe they do. Maybe they need to do a lot of things. Amtrak is considering shutting down several major tracks and Penn, at Penn Station. We've had nothing but. Thank goodness I don't have to commute to work anymore, Ira, but we know that. I have a, a sidebar comment to you, Ira. A couple of, I don't know, a year or two ago, I realized when I was on a Long Island Railroad train that I was very, very low on juice on my Tim Cook phone, if you don't mind me saying it that way. <laughs> and there is nothing in plain sight for charging. There's no charging station. There are no outlets. There's nothing. And I looked and looked and looked, and I discovered that if you sit in the last seat in a train, right next to when there's a, I think it's next to where there's a restroom, which is every third or fourth car, the last seat in that train, if you put your hand down on the side of the the seat, the physical part of the seat that's facing the aisle, 
there are two electrical outlets. I felt so secretive but so jubilant to find it, so I put my charger in there and managed to put a little juice in my phone before I had to get off at Penn Station and go somewhere and needed needed to have the phone useful on my person before I got to another a destination. But anyway, that's the secret. So I don't know if, if customers are supposed to use it or not, and I don't know if it interferes with the number of the IoT rotations of the number of times the wheels go around and the doors open and close, but there you go. There's a little travel secret for New Yorkers looking for a place to charge their phones. Ira, let's look back at your notes here. We have a lot more time and let's see now. Um, here, let's talk about Lindsay. You love to give me quotes from uh, people writing about IoT. You say, Lindsay Clark writes in Retail Week that the Internet of Things is dramatically reshaping how retail supply chains operate now and in the future. Let's talk about you have an example of the online grocery specialist Ocado. Ira, give us a little more, more uh, examples here. Right, so this is a uh, a grocery store in the UK that doesn't actually have any grocery stores, right? So they are totally, you know, online delivery. We have similar examples, um, you know, here in the US and I'm sure around the world as well. And uh, they've turned their distribution really into a, uh, a, a nearly entirely robotic process. So, you know, a thousand robots connected together that are pulling people's groceries, assembling them together and getting them out for shipment. So this is just, you know, one more example of how the uh, the supply chain is being um, rewritten, the whole story is being rewritten, uh, because we have IoT capabilities, in this case, combined with analytics, combined with robotics, uh, so that we can take, um, you know, some of the human element out of the equation, but move material much faster into the hands of people who are uh, looking for it faster, cheaper, more reliably, uh, and ultimately deliver a better uh, product or service to the end consumer. So I thought that was a uh, you know, nice little story of how we see um, IoT playing a role in the transformation of, a, of the retail supply chain. Absolutely. And I think what we're learning, Ira, from you and Adam is that it's cutting across a, a wide swath, if you will, across many industries. We've talked about re- transportation, customer transportation, parts and supplies transportation. We're now talking about, as you say, grocery stores that don't have any grocery stores. Interesting. Uh, let me do one more dive here into another quote you sent me, and then we'll get Adam to comment. You say, Jennifer McKevitt, writing in Supply Chain Dive, reports that, Connected supply chains are the wave of the future, but widespread adoption of IIoT, that's Industrial Internet of Things technology, must first take place to build visibility. And this was from a joint study by the CMO Council, BPI Network, Penton, Nerdery, and the IoT Institute. Can you unravel all of this for us, Ira, please? What does this all mean? Um, so listen, it means that you need support from the top, first of all. Right, so that uh, getting a supply chain that's going to be improved or optimized or, or bended by IoT doesn't just happen because there's cool technology available, uh, but it happens because um, from the top of the organization, you're really looking to reshape your business. And so what they found is while all the technology is coming together, and everybody, everybody kind of understands that this is something they need to be looking at, um, what they found in their study is only... of companies that they interviewed have a strategy uh, planned and ready for the industrial Internet of Things, even though 90% of them thought it was important. So uh, there are a bunch of things that that make that process slower than it might otherwise be. Um, But the one that they identified is a shortage of talent. Right, so uh, so this is this is a big deal that, uh, and we said from the beginning that in theory this should be very straightforward, um, but it takes a little bit of effort, a little skill, and a little bit of experience to put these things together, 
And companies are in that stage now where they're discovering that they have a very big opportunity, but they need to start focusing, investing it, attracting the right talent, and beginning their pathway toward uh, execution. Where are they going to find that talent? Let me get Adam Mardini on this. Adam, what do you think about this adoption is required for IoT tech and where the where the people, where the talent will come? Adam, what have you observed? Totally. I mean, this is this is phenomenally important to to move ahead with with the IoT and get the benefit out of uh, IoT into the market. Uh, think of uh, like Horizon, the railway in Australia, and they spend a billion dollar on fuel every year. One percent improvement that means ten million dollars in savings. So the the opportunity is great, but you have to start from the top, and we have to get the right talent, in the right place, and to process the information again. I'm, I'm emphasizing the point that it has to be near real time or real time. There is no benefit of of riding a plane, and after you land, they will tell you that uh, there was a problem on the engine. You need to know about things before they happen, not after, not while they happen. And, and that's why it's so important to have the right talent doing the right thing, using the right technology, uh, and then providing the executives with the decisions to, to see the opportunities to increase the, uh, the performance and increase the customer satisfaction as well. Okay. Ira, agree with that? Um, no, I, I, I completely agree with what he's saying. And the, the examples are everywhere. That it's, it's, you know, there, there have been a lot of ways to analyze data looking back historically. And over the years, we've gotten benefits from those. But the power of real-time information is another new thing that we're just getting our heads around how to put to use and how to uh, make things active. Uh, I remember a few, a few weeks back, we spoke about the power of where you locate your data and how important it is mm-hmm. to be able to react quickly when things are happening close to the sensors, right? So a sensor in an airplane, if it can react and make a correction that keeps the plane safely flying in the air, that's a good thing. Um, and uh, and you know, less dramatically in any of our processes, right? Quickly, we can respond to urgent situations and also look back over the recent past so we can make adjustments that are going to solve bottlenecks that we have today, not bottlenecks that we had a month ago. Um, is is really important. The real time aspect is uh, is like Adam said, critically important. And we may need IoT sensors in the cabin of planes when people become irate and the personnel on the plane don't know how to react to them. Wouldn't it be nice if a red button flashed and said, calm down, everybody, before you do something that will irrevocably, indelibly damage the reputation of everybody involved in the melee we want to prevent? What do you think of that, Adam? Wouldn't that be nice if we had a way to to sense sentiment of irate people before they got into a fight? What do you think, Adam? Am I wishfully dreaming here? Absolutely. That that's a really a marvelous comment. I would love to have something like that in every single plane. And every actually seen single instance where people have interaction with each other. I mean it it will be nice if people can think for a minute before they react to it. And that's that's the the, the automation. That's the beauty about automation. That is the question is, and do we implant sensors in people? I know there's been talk about that for years. And going back to my comment about Larry Stoley's upcoming show on the future of cars with Game Changers next Tuesday, May 2nd, uh, about stress and traffic. And if we could find a way to to sense when road rage was about to happen. Oh, my, wouldn't that be interesting. Ira, what do you think? Should we should we find a way without intruding on human beings' privacy, whatever's left of it, to prevent uh, 
dysfunctional human interactions, should we say it that way? That's a nice way of putting it, isn't it? It, we, we might need to start with something simpler. All right, I'm, I'm not I'm not sure we're quite ready to tackle that problem, but uh, look, we've we've done some interesting shows on on wearables and little things you can do to make people's lives better, and uh, maybe that's something we go into for a uh, for a future topic as well. There you go. And I'm going to talk about wishful thinking a little bit, looking at another topic here. We still have, oh, about five minutes left till we go into our crystal ball predictions round. I can't wait. Uh, let, let's actually dip our toe in that future pool just a little bit here. Adam, I'm looking at your notes here, and you say IoT, Internet of Things, is definitely disruptive and important to supply chain. And you say it has been at the top of the list since 2014, that's three years ago, in an SCM World Survey of over a 1,000 supply chain executives for its potential impact on supply chain strategy. So is this wishful thinking, Adam Mardini? Are they they wishing and hoping and thinking and praying? That was an old Dusty Springfield song, wishing and hoping and thinking. Never mind, I won't do it. So uh, is this something that, that the executives are looking at and saying, yeah, we wish? Or are these the ones who are saying, we're already doing it and we're going to make it work? Adam, any observations, please? Absolutely. I'm going back to, to the comment that, that Ira said earlier, that we are not doing enough uh, there. And, and the executives of over a 1,000 supply chain companies, they are still scratching their heads on, on how to really utilize the IoT in, in a very productive way. Uh, this is highly disruptive to the way that we are processing things right now. But on the other hand, this is very important. This is uh, phenomenally uh, beneficial to, to companies when it comes to cost, uh, when it comes to consumer satisfaction. Uh, it's going to take a while before this is really being gets utilized. Uh, that's why it's, it's still on the top uh, thing for, for the executive for the past three years running. Three years running. Wow. And, and is SCM World, is that a magazine or a survey? You say SCM survey of over 1,000 supply chain executives. What is SCM World, Adam? A publication? It, it is a publication, and a lot of the executives and the supply chain world, uh, they, they look into it to see what is the latest and the greatest, and it's a collaboration platform. Thank you very much. Ira, do you agree with this? Do you think they're on the right track? Um, you know what? I think that um, may- maybe at a high level, everybody understands that this is important. Um, but I'm not entirely sure that, that everybody's on the right track, right? It's, it's a hard thing to get started from. And it's also different industry by industry, right? So um, some industries just haven't been so technology uh, sensitive over, uh, over, over recent years. Others are extremely um, technology sensitive and integrated, right? So if we talk about things like finance and telco where technology is, is at the heart of everything they're doing, um, then it's, uh, it's one thing to think about the role of IoT and how it can be applied. Um, when we think about more traditional industries or traditional supply chains, traditional manufacturing, um, there, there's a lot of ground that, that we need to, uh, that we need to cover. Uh, to start infusing technology into the way things are uh, produced to raise people's comfort level, to have the right conversation, to know where it can make a difference or an impact, uh, to go down a path and seeing early results and early success so that you have confidence to go further down the path. Uh, so I think there's, uh, you know, it, it's not a natural fit for every leader of every business to be charging at full steam down this path. Um, I think within, uh, within the industry, there are things we can do to make it simpler, to make it more obvious how to get started, um, to tell the stories, share, share people's experiences. 
so that more people understand where the benefits can be applied and how to get started. And I think all of those things are going to happen so that as it's, um, you know, they know it's important, uh, but they also need to know how to take the first step. And uh, I think that's something where we can do more work to make it uh, to make it easier for them. Interesting perspective. Adam, any thoughts on that? And then I'll give you each about 90 seconds for predictions. But Adam, what about, it, not everybody is on board with this. It may not even be a gleam in their eye or wishful thinking because they just don't understand it yet. What do you, what do you observe? Uh, it's 100% true. I mean, the, the executives are still scratching their heads. How can we really fully utilize this? Uh, think of, for example, the droids. Uh, Amazon announced a while back that they're going to utilize droids for their delivery. How are you going to have thousands upon thousands of droids in the air? How are they going to not hit each other? The the technology is is almost there, but there is still massive amount of disruption that will happen to our daily daily lives. So uh, this is this is still in the in the uh, beginning stages, and it's going to take a while to to put it into the right track. Thank you very much. We keep coming back to track. I think we're still talking about the Trenitalia, the sure. Italian railway. I think that has been a theme, and maybe we're still talking about motorcycles. I don't know. And now, officially, I have, let's see, about four minutes left, and I'm going to divide and conquer. Exactly four minutes, according to our engineer, Ira Burke. i give you 90 seconds. What do you predict? And, Ira, perhaps we want to talk about the people part of this whole thing. We've been talking about sensors, a little bit about humans, but... Who would have to come into the controllership or the executive suite of manufacturers to recognize this potential value of IoT and IIoT on their supply chains? Who is it going to take in the future to be hired or to be trained or weaned off the old methods? So, Ira Burke, predictions, 90 seconds, go. Well, that's a great. It's a great question. It's a great thing for us Thank to think you. about. And and I and I don't I don't necessarily think that it requires um, you know different people at the top. Right? Maybe in some cases, um, but it does require more more confidence to be able to um, go out and and learn not to be put off by the technology by the by the language that sometimes we use that makes a lot of this uh, mysterious or inaccessible. Uh, but to to hear to hear the success stories, to hear how uh, people in similar in your in your industry or related industries have uh, have started down the path uh, where they found one place to be successful and then another and then another and start to build up the capabilities. This is not something that needs to be um, tackled across an entire company, across an entire supply chain. Um, like we said when we were talking about the earlier blog post, right? You can start with a single machine on a factory floor. You can start with you know, sensors on a single train car, um, and you can build up understanding what it means to get that information, um, to bring it all together in one place so that you can analyze it, and then to derive insights from it. And those are things that can be can be tackled in, in small steps, right? Bringing in a good partner, a good advisor to look at that with you, and to just start down the journey, and then it becomes more clear how to put the pieces together and how to build up what will be a much more complicated puzzle. So my prediction is that more and more companies will be successful at taking the first step and that once they take the first step, the second step is going to be uh, a little bit easier. Uh, The insights are going to be a little bit more powerful and they'll Mm -hmm. start to discover how uh, business after business and industry after industry can start to make this change for themselves. Sounds like a beautiful thing. Thank you. Adam, I have just about 60 seconds for you. So what do you predict, Adam Mardini, please? Well, I think that the level of automation is going to be tremendous, and the uh, technology is going to make a 
shift in, in our daily life. I mean, think of like the uh, driverless cars, how we can utilize those to do the delivery for us. So technology is going to be in the driver's seat for us, and we are going to have higher level of automation, more than we have right now, between the time that you order a product to the time that the product gets delivered to your home. This cycle needs to be shortened, and it will be shortened, and we will see phenomenal change in, in our near near future. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Ira Burke, what a great topic. It's been such a pleasure speaking with you and to meet Adam Mardini. Adam, thank you for your insights and your your wonderful camaraderie and for bringing so many good case studies and and the impact of your knowledge and expertise. Ira, and congratulations again on your new position. We'll leave that one. Anybody wants to look you up, I assume your LinkedIn profile has been updated, Mr. Burke, so I'll leave that up to you. Ira, I hope to meet you at Sapphire. I'll be there broadcasting live for three days at SAP Sapphire now in Orlando uh, from May 15th to May 19th, broadcasting on the voiceamerica.com event channel, speaking to all interesting people from all over the world. Ira, will I see you there? Yes? I look forward to it. Okay. Adam, you going to Sapphire too? Unfortunately, not this year. Well, then we will find you next year because I think they're going to invite me back. So there, I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Thank you so much, Ira Burke. Thank you, Adam Mardini. And, and a shout-out to Rue and all of the nice people I'm meeting on Ira's new team. Pleasure to meet you and, and looking forward to working with all of you. Here's my call to action. And thank you to Kevin. Kevin G., that's his name, at World Talk Radio, the business channel. Here's my call to action. Finally, fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? It looks like it's lightning and brightening up here, and it may be sunny today. So what are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Ira, just like Adam. I'll talk to you 2 p.m. Eastern today on Think Big, Work Small with Game Changers, discussing your personal successful branding online. How much does it matter to the success of your business for small to mid-sized enterprises? And everyone, see you then. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.